How do you feel about birds? For a lot of my life, I never really thought about birds, but there definitely has been a point in recent years that I've caught myself just watching and being fascinated by birds. Yes, this is a sign that I'm now old, but the more I think about it, the more I think perhaps birds might just be the wildlife that we all interact with the most. I mean, I could stay in bed all day and I would probably still have some interaction with birds, even if it was just simply hearing them outside. And come to think of it, if I woke up and didn't hear birds outside, that day just wouldn't feel right. So how important is this relationship that human beings have to interacting with birds? Well, Virginia Tech's Ashley Dare joined me to talk about that very subject. Ashley is an associate professor in the Department of Fish and Wildlife Conservation and an affiliate member of the Global Change Center and the Center for Coastal Studies. Ashley's expertise is in human interaction and wildlife specifically related to birds. She's the lead author of an article that recently published in People and Nature that argues we need to take a harder look at the human benefits of bird feeding and that it should actually be considered when we make public policy. So we talked a little bit about her work, how she got into this field, and I asked her for some guidance on how I can be a better friend to the birds. So stick around because I think there's a lot in this podcast to chirp about. I'm Travis Williams, and you're listening to Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations. So I know that you've done um, and you do a lot of research when it comes to conservation and kind of the impact specifically with birds and, and people and kind of vice versa. I'm curious, what led you to that intersection of work? That's a great question. Um, I have had a longstanding interest in nature, but I never thought that I'd pursue that field uh, until I was really struggling as an undergraduate to find my home and what really spoke to me. And I I realized that um, I was not a city girl like I thought I was (laughs) and that being in Boston and Cambridge um, was, was a tough place for me, um, to be all the time because I really liked to be outdoors. I liked to see wildlife. I liked to see nature. And so, uh, realized that I wanted to head in the direction of studying wildlife. And so that's what I did initially and, um, was really committed to wildlife conservation and studied whales and seabirds and sea otters and dolphins and all sorts of fun things. Um, but I, I ultimately felt like I wasn't making a strong enough impact on conservation. And while I was having a lot of fun riding around on a boat all day long, um, what I needed to do the most was understand people and their connections um, with wildlife and their interests in wildlife conservation. And, um, and so I, I started doing social science research and um, over the course of my time doing social science research, I've I've tried to circle back around to the ecology and biology side of things and and been very interested in social ecological systems where we study people and wildlife and the habitat all together because that is ultimately how the world's working. Um, So I do so with my colleagues and it's allowing me to look at things like how do people impact wildlife and then how does wildlife impact people Um, and being able to to look at that whole um, system together. And so is there something special that drew you to to birds in general? Yeah, so um, I grew up with bird feeders in my backyard. Um, My mom was really into backyard bird feeding and I enjoyed watching birds out the window. Um, 
loved chickadees. That was my favorite bird when I was a kid. Um, and uh, it was funny because when I was doing um, research related to marine mammals, I'd get annoyed by the bird watchers on my study site and annoyed if I had to identify a new bird. Um, but uh, ultimately, um, got a really exciting bird job in Hawaii, um, studying the, the world's rarest bird at the time, the po'o'uli. Um, and this was in um, 2001 after I graduated from, from college. And uh, I was, was really hooked um, after a field season of, of studying birds and, uh, and really intrigued to study them more. And then there's also a pragmatic component to it that when you study uh, marine mammals, you don't get paid. You have to pay to be a researcher. And uh, when you look for a bird job, you actually can get paid a living wage or maybe at least um, a surviving wage as, as a researcher. Um, so I started doing more bird related work and um, got got into it. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. More people I know have a I feel like a stronger connection with birds maybe than like whales. Yeah, it's it's because birds are in your backyard, right? Or birds are what you see on your way to work, or you wake up in the morning and you can hear the birds, and and so it is much easier for people to have a connection to birds. Uh, you don't have to be out on a whale watching boat um, to actually see a, 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 the wildlife that you're interested in. Yeah. It's nothing against, nothing against whales. Um, I, nothing I, against I whales. just yeah, preface, like I should have prefaced that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know that you had a paper recently that you were the lead author on that published in people in nature uh, that kind of explored or maybe urged for more exploration actually of this relationship between people and, and, and birds. Um, can you maybe in a, in a nutshell, maybe explain what that's about? Yeah. So, um, we've been really interested in seeing how state fish and wildlife agencies are managing the challenging situation of avian disease, um, particularly as it relates to bird feeding. And so state fish and wildlife agencies have um, put out some guidance in recent disease-related outbreaks, um, such as avian flu um, or a mystery outbreak that happened a, a couple of years ago, um, that people should take down their bird feeders. And uh, my colleagues and I took a, a look at those recommendations and guidelines um, over 20-some different states and um, realized that in, in most cases, that guidance was not necessarily based upon biological evidence and certainly not social science evidence to support what those states were suggesting. And in fact, we also saw that uh, the members of the public responding um, to their blogs or to their posts or via social media um, were concerned, confused, frustrated um, by that response of the agencies as well. So my colleagues and I um, were encouraging um, our state fish and wildlife agency decision makers to, to think more about how there can be unintended consequences for human well-being when those recommendations um, are made and and encourage them to really ensure that those recommendations are based upon uh, biological evidence when they make them uh, to, to make sure that it's it's worth the, um, the negative um, implications for people not being able to feed birds. And you all are, you're exploring some of that. You're gathering some of that, that hard data. 
Yeah, so we fortunately have National Science Foundation funding um, and a collaborative project to be able to look at the experience of people feeding birds uh, through a participatory science project called Project Feeder Watch. And uh, we have about 20,000 people enrolled in Project Feeder Watch this year. I should say Cornell Lab of Ornithology, our partner, um, does. They manage that project. And those individuals are um, keeping track of the birds that they see at their feeders as they have been for 36 years um, through this project. But they're also now keeping track of a bit more of their disease observations, any observations they see about um, birds that have died in their feeding area, um, other mammals that might be in their feeding area, their management changes that they're making in those areas. And then also the part that we're super excited about, um, the emotions that they experience um, when they make all those different observations um, at their feeders. That's really cool. Are people able to to still take part in that or is it kind of, is it closed already or? Nope. You can sign up anytime during the season. Uh, their season runs through April, so people can still sign up for that. And it's really flexible. Uh, people are able to uh, submit observations um, on a weekly basis, but if you miss a week, that's okay. And you can only do every other week, that's fine as well. And uh, and it, it's been, I, I should say, as someone who's participated in it before, it's been fun for me and my family. My kids get really into it as well. Uh, well, I'm I'm curious when it comes to to just bird feeding in general. What what do most birds eat? Do birds? This might sound like a silly question, but I'm curious. Do birds eat a lot of worms, or just early well, in the morning? This time of year, they're not eating a lot of worms because it's a little bit frozen out there. I don't know if you saw that snow this morning, Travis. So this time of year, birds are eating a lot of seeds. Um, and the birds that rely on insects have tended to migrate south of here so that they can, can get that food that they need. So the birds that we have less left in the, the local area are birds that, that can subsist on seeds or berries that might still be around. Um, when we're talking about songbirds or feeder birds, of course, there's other birds that are feeding on other birds or feeding on mammals, um, but they're not typically the ones that come to your bird feeder. Um, so at bird feeders right now, um, birds are eating uh, sunflower seeds, mixed seeds, uh, peanuts, preferably unsalted ones is what's good for them. And then also suet, um, typically made out of um, beef fat. Well, and I'm, I'm also curious if, so if I'm feeding birds and like it gets, there's like a, it's cold, like it is for today. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, I'm not going to feed. And then it stays cold for a couple of weeks. If I stop feeding the birds. Do the birds that come to my feeder, do they have, do they forget how to get their own food or can they just, do they have an instinct to naturally go back to that? Like what happens? I don't, I don't want to starve the birds out. Yeah. So, so scientists believe that, that they are probably fine in that situation. They are used to moving around to variable um, food sources. And so they may go check out someone else's backyard or they may find some other feed. It can be harder on them in a situation where there's heavy snow cover or um, it's harder to find berries or find food on the ground uh, if they don't have bird feeders around. A situation where it is really necessary is like if someone has had a, a hummingbird feeder out in a location and those hummingbirds have stayed around for the winter because there is humming, because there's nectar available, but there isn't naturally nectar. If that hummingbird feeder was taken in 
abruptly, then that that could be really challenging for those individual birds. But we're not going to have luck even doing that here because it's still a little too cold for them. In general, what are some just good tips and, and practices that somebody like me who doesn't, I don't know a whole lot about bird feeding, to be honest with you. But what what should I know? Like, what's the go to kind of knowledge I need to have to appropriately feed birds and, and you know help the birds that live in my backyard? Yeah. So one thing is to make sure that you sight uh, your bird feeder in a way that's going to be safe for birds. So uh, you want to make sure that you don't have cats in your backyard. Um, and if you uh, do have cats in your backyard, make sure there's no way that they're able to get up to the feeder or that birds are going to be feeding under. Um, it because there's a lot of predation from cats on birds and you don't want to be creating a cat feeder instead of a, a bird feeder. Uh, another thing that's important to think about is how far away from windows you're placing the, that bird feeder. And it's believed that if you have it like within six feet or so, 10 feet from your window, that the birds can't get it up enough speed to then um, collide with your window and, and uh, die. Um, you can also put um, UV sort of stickers on your window too to keep them from, from hitting your window. Or you could put your bird feeder 30 plus feet away from your window so that you're not close at all to the window. So that's another really important thing um, to keep in mind. And then, of course, for human safety, if you are in an area that has bears, you want to make sure that you're not feeding during a time of year when bears are active or, again, that there's no way that bears can get to your feeder. For example, I have my feeder going off of a string from a second floor um, uh, window in my house, and so there's no way that the bears can can get up there. Um, but that, of course, is a, another thing to keep in mind. So keeping in mind all those sighting-related elements is really useful. And then also having some cover in your yard for those birds so that they want to be in that area so that they feel like they're protected from a predator if a predator comes by, so if a hawk flies over. So you might want to have that bird feeder near some trees. You might want to have a brush pile in your yard. Those can all be ways that birds can, can find cover. And you also can create um, native plant gardens um, or plant native brush or shrubs in your um, backyard as well so that those birds can find other natural food sources and have another reason that they're coming to your yard. So that's all sort of thinking about the, the environment of where you're feeding birds and then in terms of your bird feeder itself, putting in healthy food like the sources that I was just mentioning, seeds, unsalted peanuts, um, suet, uh, or during hummingbird season, having a nectar feeder can all be really uh, great ways to attract birds with um, healthier food sources for them. Best to avoid things like... Um, uh, bread or uh, salted um, food or, or other food scraps that might not be as healthy. Fruit can be okay again during the summer as well. Um, so you can feed them, then those, those feed. Um, and uh, you want to keep the area clean too. So uh, I try to avoid having a tray feeder because that can be a place where it collects bird feces instead of having a, a feeder where there's uh, little open ports with a perch on them can be a, a better way to go. Also, cleaning that um, 
bird feeder at a regular interval. Something we're actually doing research on is how frequently you should clean it to try to minimize disease spread as well. And then if you're doing something like hummingbird feeding, you definitely want to regularly, each time you refill it, clean that feeder because that can get mold in it in the summer, which birds are really susceptible to. I'm curious also, do birds actually like bird baths? Yeah, so water sources, you're right. Another great thing to add. Um, so this time of year, you can have a heated bird bath so that it will still provide maybe not a, a bird bath location for them as much this time of year, but just water to be drinking. Um, as can be something to attract birds to an area, particularly when there's minimal um, water in, in an area. So if you live near a creek, maybe not as important. Um, but if you're in a drier area, they can certainly be attracted to that water source. And again, that bird bath can be another important place to be cleaning, particularly in the summer where it's more likely to to uh, get dirty. Yeah, we always had bird bird baths when I was a kid, but I never knew if they actually liked them or just like my grandma really liked us having one. It's really fun to watch them take a bath. So yeah, let's see why. Awesome. Well, the last, um, last thing I'm kind of curious about, is the chickadee still your favorite bird? Oh, that's a tough one now. I feel like I have categories of favorite bird. I think that's still my favorite bird feeder bird, but I also really like Carolina wrens for listening to them sing. I like sandhill cranes for going to watch their behavior. You know, of course, I have a soft spot for Hawaiian honey creepers, so I could go on and on with all my favorite birds. Well, that's what I don't think they're going to listen to this podcast, so they're not going to be offended. Yeah, yeah, so they're not going to be jealous. <laughs> And thanks to Ashley for sharing her expertise on birds, bird feeding, and even bird baths. If you or someone you know would make for a great curious conversation, email me at traviskw at vt.edu. I'm Travis Williams, and this has been Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations.